I'm Esther Alma. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. It is that time for an hour where smart is sexy. The Spin, our weekly all-women of colour media panel. I'm coming to you live from Star FM Studios in Accra, Ghana. Our contributors are on the line via NPR, Washington, D.C. We are on air nationally across the United States and internationally in Ghana and in London. This program is brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. Today on The Spin, shot callers and storytellers, global black women filmmakers, bringing their stories to small and big screens and to the world of digital as they reimagine resistance. For our first discussion, personal journey of a storyteller, telling the untold to award-winning black women filmmakers on their lens and their vision. And in part two, money matters, commerce and creativity. How do you negotiate control Enjoy creativity while raising the money and making it happen. Faith, frustration, and freedom. All of that, coming up. Our contributors this week are Stacey Mohammed and Juliet Asante. Stacey Mohammed is an independent filmmaker, a New Orleans native, an award-winning writer, director, and producer. Her projects include For Colored Boys, I Am Sean Bell, and the upcoming film The Creed. Her web series for Coloured Boys was named one of the top digital series and has screened for audiences worldwide. I Am Sean Bell won multiple awards. Stacey is co-founder of the LA-based production company 1930 Productions. The production company has produced award-winning narrative and documentary content, including for Coloured Boys, Finding Forever, Love Unscripted and the upcoming film The Creed. Juliet Asante is a Ghanaian award-winning producer and director. She has worked in Ghana's television industry for two decades. She is the visionary who created the Black Star International Film Festival and is CEO of Eagle Productions Limited. Juliet is the creator of Mobile Flicks, an app to make short films in Africa that is already in 30 countries across the continent. Juliet's first feature film was Silver Rain. Welcome, welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Two black women filmmakers and their lens, their lives, telling our stories. My skin is black. My arms are long. My hair is woolly. My back is From two sides of the Atlantic, Ghana and New Orleans, we are in the world of black women behind the camera calling the shots. Shot callers. Stacey Mohammed's groundbreaking award-winning digital series for Coloured Boys tells the story of the human toll of America's mass incarceration policy, how it affects families, relationships and the challenge of reconnecting after forced separation. Here's the trailer. Dear Lisa... The days are beginning to run into each other here. It all feels like one long nightmare I can't seem to wake up from. The only thing that keeps me breathing is my love for you and our children. 
I told you, man, you always been hard-headed, man. I told you to chill and not go running into that woman's house, busting up there like you still have a right to be there. You don't. You got to earn that right. Benjamin came to see me. Are you serious, Lynn? You're defending him. I'm not. We family. And I'm not going to let that come up here hurting you. You thought your degrees mattered. You thought that because your father was a successful attorney that that mattered. You didn't have the goddamn sense to know you were playing with fire. If anything happened to you, there's nothing gonna happen to you. Play hard, Abe. Yeah, that's right. I said it. You ain't hard. No, I need you to grow up. If you say you're gonna be here at 8, then be here at 8. If you can't be here at 8, then just call me. Why are you always stressing me? Yeah, man, clearly you lost your mind. If you think you're gonna come up in here and claim a thing, because you're not. I've been here. Not walking around here mad at the world, because trust me, the world don't give a about black men. And we're gonna find a way to give a about each other. Season two of The Color Boys will be hitting YouTube. Look out for that. Here's Stacey Muhammad explaining why she made the series and why film is her path for activism and social change. I would think that I'm an activist first and a filmmaker second. You know, sure. so film is just, you know, the avenue by which I tell stories that are very much indicative of the challenges that black and brown people face in this country and around the world. From a New Orleans native and her digital series exploring the human cost of America's mass incarceration policy to the world of class warfare and what I call organomics across the Atlantic right here in Ghana. Juliet Asante's film, Silver Rain, tells the story of a Ghanaian market trader and the young man from an affluent family who falls for her. It is a story about love, but it's also about the class politics of Ghana and the ways in which class impacts a people, a nation, a continent even. It explores how class shapes love and it deals with loss, pain, family and discovery and the particular challenges of poverty and the thriving, complex, powerful world of market traders, the violence and vulnerability some face and the ways they navigate this space. And Silver Rain is a pan-African film and it features actors from five nations on the continent, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, Sierra Leone and Kenya. Here's that trailer. How you trust me taking off the street? When it's time for you to cast your vote, show them that you are wiser. Two things stop our agenda. Getting rid of those thieves and getting the city clean. You should watch where you're going. Don't you know him? His family owned the Timothy building and other building in the market. Introduce us to your little friend, son. They intend to marry me after the highest beater. They are arresting us every day on the streets. I'll take you home. This is home. I live here. Like these people on the streets? You're joking, right? Did you have to take her where our friends eat? I smell bad, though. Ha! We're about to do the tango. Stay in the kitchen, clean the place up. You weave your slimy way into my son's life? Please. Get out! Here's Juliet Asante explaining the story of Silver Rain and why it is important for African peoples to tell their own stories. As we try and, and, and hope to uh, enter the global market, we need to tell stories that are authentic to Africa. And you know that black skin needs, you know, it needs special treatment uh, in the sense of lighting. And when you look at international films, which is one of the reasons why we need to tell our stories, they don't make them for us. Mm. And so the lighting is not flattering. And so if you have a film that is quality made for Africans by Africans, 
it's a beautiful thing to watch. Mm. This story is based on a Kayo girl who decides to find love outside her class and she sets into motion a class war. From African-American filmmakers like Julie Dash, Gina Price Blythewood, Cassie Lemons, Oscar-nominated Ava DuVernay, and the digital world brilliance of Issa Rae and the TV power of Shonda Rhimes, to Ghanaian women filmmakers like Ama Asante and Shirley Frimpong Manso, and the digital online brilliance of Nicole Amatafio, there are more black women filmmakers and storytellers finding ways to share the gorgeous, complicated, messy human beauty that is the lives of black folk in nations and continents and communities and families. These are films that centralize black women and recognize their complicatedness in the world. So what made these two black women choose film? and the kinds of stories that are about social change. What does their lens say about their world? What do they love about film and why? How has film shaped them? Let's talk the personal journeys of shot callers and storytellers. So, Stacey Mohammed, let me start with you. So I have this kind of idea that all artists have a relationship with their art form. And I'm wondering what the relationship to film is for you? Like, is it a hot date? So in other words, you're always excited to get back to the work. Is it a marriage? You're committed, but it's hard work. And sometimes you do really feel like leaving. Is it a divorce? Always a struggle, challenging. Is it an affair? You love moments and pieces of it, but not all the time. I would say it's probably a hot date. You know, it's, I've never been asked that question that way, of course, Esther, but uh, I, I would say it's a hot date. I mean, because, you know, it definitely is a struggle and there are difficult times all the time, but I love what I do. You know what I mean? I'm always excited to get back to work. And I think that getting back to work or just the work itself is always a reminder of why we do what we do, because it comes with a tremendous amount of challenges from financial challenges to trying to get the work done that you want to get made and then trying to stay true to your authentic voice, you know, as you kind of climb a ladder in your career and just a kind of faced with, you know, being asked to make certain compromises that you wouldn't be asked to make as an independent filmmaker. But with all of that said, with everything that comes with it, all of the challenges, I can't imagine not doing this work. It's always exciting. And it's always a reminder that, you know, this is the work that chose me and why, and why I'm here. So you say it's the work that chose you. How did that choice happen? And when did it happen? Like, when was it where you like, OK, filmmaking is what I'm going to do with all the attendant challenges. This is the thing that I'm going to do. And why this thing in particular? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I don't think I knew that it was this challenging initially. Filmmaking for me was an extension of my activism. I mean, I've just been an activist since I was a teenager, you know, so all the things that I wanted to talk about and the things that I was talking about as an activist, I thought, wow, if I, you know, get into filmmaking and start writing, you know, I can have a, a broader audience and just do something different with this activism than what's, you know, what I'm doing at this time. And I started attending just about every filmmaking workshop that was available to me at the time in Washington, D.C., and ran across Professor Holly Garima at Howard University. He has Sankofa books and video across the street from Howard, where he offered production classes, producing, writing, everything. And under his instruction, I learned that I could be not only a filmmaker, but the type of filmmaker that I wanted to be. He taught us patience and he taught us the importance you know, just staying true to our authentic voices. And I moved to New York to go to film school. And from that point on, you know, just got immersed in what I believe is an extremely viable and beautiful independent film community in New York City. People who are artists and love what they do. So that's how I got started. And that's how I, you know, knew that I could do film and do the type of film that I wanted to do. Juliet Asante, what's your relationship to film? Hot date, marriage, divorce or affair? For me, it's a bit of uh, marriage and a hot date. I think I kind of move in between and just like 
you have a hot date and you're excited, but then you go into the marriage and then you realize that you need to put in work, that it is work mm-hmm. all the time to enable it to, you know, be sustainable. I think that's the kind of relationship I have with film as well. For me, there's nothing else I, I could be doing that would be so satisfying or so impactful as what I'm doing now. And as Stacey said, I also share the fact that I feel that film is an important for education, for information, for communication, for cultural diplomacy, for social impact. And so I see my craft as an opportunity to inform, to educate, and to reach out and to tell great stories. And as an African, an African woman living in a society that has uh, beautiful stories, but also stories that need to be that need to come out and be addressed. I see film as an opportunity to tell our stories to the rest of the world, but at the same time to raise awareness to issues that we have. And so I don't see myself as having the luxury to do film for film sake or for just entertainment, so to speak. Of course, even when you're entertaining, you can still educate. But for me, those two things, entertaining, but most importantly, educating and informing, it's an important part of what I do. And yes, I would say it also chose me because there wasn't any other platform that I, I knew at the time that could enable me to tell the kind of stories that I needed to tell. As well as for me growing up, there was a time in my life when I really needed uh, an escape. And film offered me that opportunity of escape and of creating the perfect world that I I saw in my mind. What's powerful to me is we had done a show about a filmmaker called John Ridley who'd done this TV series about the Black Power movement in the United Kingdom. And historically, it had featured, you know, black women front and central. And yet in his series, you know, black women were literally exorcised from any lead roles. They had zero lead roles. And having done that show, I said, you know, I want to do another one where I elevate the names and the work of black women filmmakers. So we see ourselves, we recognize ourselves and we're able to let other parts of the world, whether it's in in, in Ghana or America, know about these different filmmakers and the work that they're doing. So I wonder about the particular challenge and the choice of the types of stories you tell. Why do you tell the types of stories you tell? And what is it about your choice to engage? You know, you're both dealing with the complexity of human relationships. And in a world where black bodies are often so one-dimensional and linear, I would say complexity is what kind of connects you from Ghana to New Orleans, from US to, to Africa. That's part of the connection is the willingness to engage the complexity of what are often defined as issues. So whether it's quote unquote poverty in Africa or quote unquote mass incarceration, there are these huge concepts, but the humanizing of them, the recognition that these are people and their lives and the way they move through the world matters. So why that complexity conversation for you and what does it mean for you, Stacey? It's been important for me to look at the ways in which racism and white supremacy complicates the complexity of human relationships for black people. And, you know, looking at the ways in which we maneuver, you know, this very difficult anti-black, anti-woman space. I think, you know, we're always fighting, you know, just in terms of the John Ridley conversation, we're always fighting to combat 
these attempts to erase us as black women and as black people, but particularly as black women. So for me, it's been really important, as I said, just starting out as an activist. It's been stories about mass incarceration or the difficulty of relationships and love and the human complexities and all these things, just the ways in which racism and white supremacy makes it so much more difficult than it would usually be. And then I think just, you know, it's been so important to just have a range of stories that depict black people here and abroad. We just haven't seen that as much as we need to. So my voice as a black woman has been about just telling stories that we just haven't had an opportunity to tell. You know, I found out recently, for instance, that I had an ancestor that committed suicide. And I was just like, wow, like what was happening in her life that caused her to commit suicide at 17? And just thinking about the women that came before me who did not have an opportunity to use their voice in the way that I'm able to use my voice. So it's something that I've always taken very seriously because, as the other sister said, I mean, this is an entertainment. You know, this really is the ways in which people use film to propagate the ideas that they believe are, are important. And, you know, that's the way that I've used it as well. Julia DeSanti? I would say same as well. If you look at the stories that I tell, there are stories that I feel, you can take it on one angle and say human stories. So there are stories that resonate. And I think that we have amazing stories that we need to tell the world. For instance, if you look at Silver Rain, we have factors from five countries. And these are five African countries, but if you look at the similarities between us and the things that we have in common, it's incredible. And there are scenes where we shot in different African countries, but then you, you don't even realize that in the film because we have such similarities and we have such issues that we can fight together. You can transcend that as well into the United States. First of all, you look at anybody with African background or you take the African-American community and you see that we do have similarities in our stories, even when you go into the Caribbean, we have similarities. And so the question is, when you're making a film, how do you tap into those similarities and tell stories that can resonate on mm-hmm. a basic level, especially when you're looking to use your film for activism or social impact? You want to be able to tell stories that people can connect to. And I think that it is when we get to the point where we can tell stories that have a broader audience, even beyond people with African, you know, African descent. We move beyond that into the humanness of it. Is it discrimination in society? Is it political gaps? Is it political bias? Is it family issues? Is it love and hate? What is it? And when you get to that point as a filmmaker, when you can go down and tap into that point where it resonates, I think that's the point where you begin to communicate. And it is at that point also that you begin to expand your audience. And I think that as a filmmaker, you're always looking at the different levels at which you can connect with your audience. And for me, that's what of the things that I focus on. Yeah, and, you know, ironically for me, I think even, you know, starting out as an activist and having someone like, you know, Holly Garima as a mentor at the time, I think that, you know, initially in my head, much of what I was writing was about the white gate. It was very much about trying to dispel myths and stereotypes about black people. And over time, it's become less about that. And it's been much more about, like, realizing how dangerous that can be if I am telling stories to, like, dispel these myths about black people that white people, for the most part, don't even believe. And just to tell stories about the diversity of our experience, of our lives, commonalities, but also just how diverse and different we are as black people. And to kind of create these worlds that exist in my mind that I know can exist in reality, but can only exist if we're finding ways to actually make them real and tangible for people. And I think the visual representation is so important in order for people to create those worlds. So I've got to the point now where, you know, this is just about celebrating the beauty 
the ugliness, the ups and downs, the back and forth, the complexity of human existence, you know, for people who happen to be black. And I think also to provide context to many of the issues that we're dealing with. So when I'm crafting characters, a lot of times it's like to place the blame where the blame needs to be. And oftentimes, more often than not, when we're looking at the group dynamics of black people, I'm indicting racism and white supremacy in the work that I do. You're also looking at moving that in a way opens up the storytelling or opens up the community. And so you're kind mm-hmm. of looking, for me, it's always a dance between how entertaining can this be because I'm not a documentary filmmaker. And mm-hmm. so in as much as I want to use my film for activism and, so, and, and social work, I always have to find a point where, first and foremost, it's a fictional, it's a movie that people can go in and just enjoy. Mm-hmm. But then... You put in layers, you talk about the layers, that's where the layers are important because you don't want to shove it into your faces or you, you run the risk of turning people off. And so you want to just layer it and so just at the beginning or at the top of it, people can have a great time and just enjoy a simple story and identify with the characters in the story. But then when they step out of the cinema hall, then they begin to ask themselves questions. And for me, it's important that that question travels over time. And that's where my layering comes in, because you can come out of the cinema hall and ask yourself one question, but then in a couple of days, it's another question going to pop up. And that's very important to me in my layering of the characters and of the issues. There are some issues that I want to be addressed right off the story, and there are some issues that I want to sit with the audience over time, and, and really that's how I tackle my, my layering of stories. What's interesting for me about both of you is so For Coloured Boys is a web series and then Silver Rain is a feature film. For Coloured Boys, the main protagonist is a man who's come out of prison and is now trying to reconnect with his family, you know, grown children of 21 and 17. And in Silver Rain, it's also a male protagonist. Now, what is really powerful and interesting for me about both of these pieces of work is that these male leads, you both come in engaging the intersections of those men's emotional lives. And so for you, Juliet, you're really looking at this issue of class, which is deeply entrenched. I know definitely here in Ghana and across the continent in different ways, because of course, in Ghana, we're a majority black nation, but we have really entrenched class issues that manifest in all kinds of problematic ways. And that's, it's the intersections of class and gender that you're looking at, Juliet. And with your work, Stacey, and for Coloured Boys, the intersections, but what I call the emotionality intersections. So all the things that you might have have to walk through as a man to get through the incarceration, what does it mean to come out and then reimagine what loving your family looks like? And so I think what I love about both of your works is the willingness to engage in the multiple emotionalities that black folks on the continent and in the diaspora, what they're grappling with, but kind of being willing to roll your sleeves up, put your hands all the way in, like up to your shoulders and really wade around in that emotional world. And I think that what moves us engages us. And I wonder for you both that layering that you talk about, Juliet, and for you, Stacey, what does that look like as you start to build these emotionally complex worlds? For me, my journey as an actress, I think, has been very helpful. And I remember several times being in training and going through that process as an actress before as you get ready for a character. How do you layer your character and what different backstories do you go through? 
And I think that background has really helped me as a filmmaker, understanding that no one person is one-dimensional. And I think that's right. kind of the risk that we run. When we deal with actors, when we write a story that is layered, we run the risk of an actor who doesn't understand the process, not playing out the different dimensions. And I think for me, one of my strengths as a director, because of my background, is being able to communicate with my cast and, and try and communicate the different levels that I want to come out at different times and really just having a conversation with them. And another thing, again, that's been helpful uh, from, with my background as an actress is to talk to my actors to embrace your individual personal pains and discoveries. And when you're able to communicate with an actor or encourage them to tap into their own life journey, most of the time, depending, you can have an actor that's had a really rich journey. And if you're able to help them to tap into that, I think it kind of also helps bring out the various levels of your film. And for me, of course, I write as well. And so when I'm writing, I kind of go through the process of, being a writer, being an actress, being a director, and all of that, and how do you create that synergy, and how do you then take that and communicate that to crew and your actors, because everyone has to get it. I think it's when you're able to get to that point that, for me, magic happens, because then you have all these nuances that then I think the audience is able to tap into, and that's what makes a really good film, if you ask me. I think for me, you know, I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple. We know that, you know, people are layered and complex. And more often than not, if we know people in any intimate way, whatever it may be, family, lover, whatever, we know and understand and very much are intimately connected to and familiar with their complexity. And, you know, I think that much of what we've seen, particularly in mainstream media representations of black people, has been that single story representation that uh, Sister Dichie speaks about. You know, it's funny because a lot of times I see you know, the representations of black people. And I'm like, I don't really know anyone like this, right? So I think this is a very intentional type of story that has been told. And, you know, I wonder what's happening on these sets a lot of times because, you know, when we're working and we have our actors with us on set, I mean, it's just about being true. You know, it's just about being true to the complexity of who we all are as human beings. And then it's just about capturing that. And so that's something that just kind of happens organically. If there's anything that's intentional about, I think, what I'm doing, you know, it's about just us all being very familiar with the dangers of toxic masculinity and, and how important it is, I think, to particularly with men, when we're depicting men, to write characters that are intentionally layered and complex and willing to look at all of the dimensions of who they are and the ways in which this toxic masculinity impacts and, and affects all of our lives. So, you know, it's been these two things. It's been about, you know, how do we not so much dispel these myths, but how do we deal with this toxicity? And then how do we just kind of capture what we already are as human beings? And I think the conversation comes up obviously more for black people because we're dealing with combating these single story representations of us and then knowing intimately the ways in which this affects our lives in real ways. So it's just been about being true, I think, and then looking at a lot of the wrongs that need to be fixed and finding ways to do it in film that's not too heavy-handed and not too preachy, but just authentic and real for people and audiences to connect to. I just wanted to add to that briefly and say that I think at the point as well, we need to tell stories that are true to who we are. And so mm -hmm. what I always say to my fellow writers and, and fellow directors is if you take Africa, for instance, we have such rich stories. We have stories in our communities. We have stories in our past. It's stories about our future, where we want to go. 
And so when you're telling stories that are true to you and that you know of, and then it's easy to translate that story or to communicate it to another person. I think the risk comes in, at least from where I sit in my environment, where you have writers who are trying to come up with stories that they don't know. And so the nuances are lost in between the cracks because you really don't know the story you're trying to tell. And I think that if you do know the story that you're trying to tell, then it becomes a different process and it's a fuller process. Two black women filmmakers clearly doing it within and for their culture. The road to becoming a black woman filmmaker may mean success is about how you walk that road, the stories you tell. It's for when the world tells you that you are not, but you decide 
you are. So when they tell you that you ain't, but you know that you are. When they tell you that you can't, but you know that you can. Just remember, success is the best payback. Success is the best payback. Yep. So put your glass up. Uh, we made it this far, waving that rag on green, black star. No matter who you are, success is the best. Payback. No matter who you are, success is the best payback. It's the beginning of a new era. Ambassador, tell the frauds I'm a torch bearer. Afropolitan, dreaming they fiending for the album. New Huey Massacre, killing everything at random. We go to sleep in Tokyo, I'm waking up in London. <laughs> this is the life that we dreamt when we were grinding. They treated African rappers like, no, you don't belong here. Now we blowing up and they like, oh, something wrong here. Rocking SOBs and Papa Juve told me, you never hit the stage without your flag, young homie. We realizing the rise of a new foundation. That success means nothing if you lose dedication And living as an immigrant was hard to endure Now we're waking up to 20,000 people on tour This for my Afropolitan dreamers is bigger than Benz and Bemis Cause nobody wanna see a successful So when they tell you that you ain't, but you know that you are When they tell you that you can't, but you know that you can Just remember, success is the best payback Success is the best payback, yep So put your glass up, uh, we made it this far Waving that rag on Dedicated to the non-believers The ones who thought that we'll forever be underachievers Cause where I'm from they scheme on your dreams when you're unfamiliar A doctor, a lawyer, anything else is just a failure Look at us now, yeah I'm running this town Never looking back, give it up, this is our time And I'm making damn sure that my team's with me MVMT still rolling with me with a horn section When I'm on percussion Optics to the boards, no discussion And I fit so sick, it's a moment of clarity Red for style, but you mean so when they tell you that you ain't But you know that you are When they tell you that you can't But you know that you can Just remember, success is the best payback Success is the best payback, yo So put your glass up, yeah We made it this far, waving that rag on Queen Black Star No matter who you are, success is the best yeah. payback No matter who you are, success is the best payback So what do these black women filmmakers have in common? They are like that Sakodia track, Original I think you guys do understand one thing, you know I'm just trying to be myself, I just want to stay original I spit in my own language People think I'm limited <laughs> I don't believe that I'm heading straight to the Grammys Take it or leave it, it's a bidding Let go Huh? Update <laughs> Beat is crazy <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Team. Uh. Yes. Already. Number one. I'm the best MC from the ghetto. C9. Cemetery. Don't test me. No size. Punchlines. Oh, voice in your next key. You can't fulfill my juju. I'm already giving God with the bless me. Tell my boy. Way back. Can't turn again. They get chill up. My hustle up. Check everybody knows they got ready. Be the one you for pick up. 25th. Rapaholic, double fist and never go pick up. Never never give me one of the energy. Never come for you, I will sit up. Celebrate champagne. After you.
Just to move back, I'm a semi-seven the devil Illuminati with no facts, cut across I feel the men you're on the double for my feedback That's how we feel it, my name is fault My fans in me way back My fans, my person is putting a jig up my congrats I'll be the me level and turn up Lawyers in the read the contract To my fans, if you know you like what be the missing for the love you too Rapping in your cat in the shot, yeah, that be what bosses do <laughs> Told you man My name is S-A-R-K-O-D-I-E Bitty. Ghana, stand up. That was part one of Shot Callers and Storytellers, Black Women Filmmakers. You're listening to The Spin, a one-hour weekly international all-women of colour podcast. I'm your host, Esther Armar. Our contributors this week are Juliette Asante and Stacey Muhammad. The Spin is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. I'm live in Star FM Studios in Accra, Ghana. We are on air across the United States in Arizona, Ohio, North Carolina, New Jersey, Mississippi, Texas, South Carolina, New York, Massachusetts, Georgia, and Iowa. We are on air in Ghana on Star FM 103.5. And we are on air in London on ABN UK Radio. We are also online. Subscribe to The Spin One Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you. This is The Spin. Every week, one hour, one mic, three black women. And we go global. We do our own thing because we can. I'm all when I dance, I dance. 
dance to the beat of a drummer you don't hear and you dance it. So if I look off beat to you, well the problem must be you, not me. Irregular but never irrelevant, unusual but never uncool. You're not caught from my clothes, you don't get me, well I don't get you either. A believer of the fact that you need people's love. So if I'm going too fast for you, open your mind and speed up. Part two of Shot Callers, Storytellers, Global Black Women Filmmakers. Making films means freedom, creativity, you name and frame the narrative. It's also about raising money. Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Money makes the world go around, it makes the world go round. No money, no product. And big studios don't necessarily get behind independent filmmakers. And even with those films that make it onto Oscar platforms, the story of the length of time it took to get the money reveals that this is an expensive business and independence means fundraising. Filmmaker Haile Garima has spoken of 10-year-plus intervals in making projects due almost exclusively to fundraising challenges. But fundraising models, just like content models, have expanded when it comes to the world of film. In 2013, filmmaker Spike Lee used social media and the crowdfunding platform Kickstarter to raise more than $1.4 million for a film. And here he is talking about the challenges of raising money. The issue is whether you're in film school or not film school, where you get the money to shoot, where you get the money to for completion, to finish your film. And I tell people you just have to be inventive and you gotta look under every nook and cranny to get it done. There's not, there's not, there's nothing I could tell somebody that's gonna be like the golden trail and you're gonna find a pot of gold. And you know, at, at the end, is that's just not the way this industry works. I think that when you wanna, when you're looking for money, you have to have a, that be tough, if tough as nails, and not be uh, deterred by nose. Stacy Muhammad's web series for Color Boys, with her producing partner Professor Mark Lamont Hill, used Indiegogo to fundraise. Audience and markets and money are integral parts of the business of turning creativity into digestible content. So here's Stacy Muhammad explaining her choice to put the digital series for Colored Boys on YouTube and not mainstream television. Why did you guys decide to launch this on YouTube mm-hmm. opposed to the traditional route of television? Yeah, well, it's challenging to get on television, one. Yeah. Um, two, I think that web series, ironically, right now are you know an interesting way to kind of get into television. Right now, we're shopping the series to networks. We've had quite a bit, we've had quite a bit of network entries for season one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think with uh, social media, with uh, 
With YouTube, we have immediate access to our audiences. We wanted to build an audience and a following with the series when we came out for season one and then look at where we could go with season two. Being a shot caller storyteller means having an entrepreneurial spirit. And take a listen to Juliette Asante on what it means for her to be an entrepreneurial artist filmmaker. One of the things that I'm, I'm truly passionate about is that um, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, and I've been that for a while, um, I think that the more Africans begin to come together, the more we break down trade barriers, the more Africa will progress. Because per country, we are too little, we are too small. I mm -hmm. mean, Ghana is 25 million. If I'm to do a quality movie that costs me over 100,000, how am I going to make my money back with 25 million people? And when you go to an investor, which we need, dire need of investment in this industry, you need to make a business case. And part of making that business case is showing that you have, have access uh, yeah. to those markets. And one of the ways to ensuring that you do have access to those markets is to cast from that market. And another thing from those markets, and another thing is that, you know, we need the skill sets. So if I want uh, skill sets that are not available in Ghana, instead of going to the U.S., I mean, we did have uh, some crew from the U.S., but instead of going all that way, why don't I extend myself to Nigeria or South Africa? Nigeria has the numbers, South Africa has the skills. I mean, the, the South Africans that were on it, it was Amazing. In the US, web series like Issa Rae's Awkward Black Girl turned her into a YouTube sensation and has now landed her a television series on HBO called Insecure. It shows an evolving market opening up previously limited spaces. And here in Ghana, writer-director Nicole Amatafio has also used YouTube to elevate stories in Ghana with her web series An African City and her new political thriller, what she describes as Ghana's scandal, The Republic, also a web series on YouTube. Ultimately, that tension between commerce and creativity is not a new story, but it is one storytellers must consistently navigate. How much easier is storytelling for shock callers with these new fundraising models and opportunities to actually share their stories? How did they affect the creativity? What particular challenges interrupt progress? So let's talk commerce and creativity, the business of storytelling, what it means to work with faith, freedom and frustrations. Juliet Asante. We have a very unique challenge. If, if you're in, in Africa, the, the challenge is even more dire. Why? Because a lot of the mod, new models don't necessarily work here. And so, for instance, you mentioned Indiegogo or Kickstarter. We might not have a vibrant society that is as aware of those platforms or are as willing to give on those platforms. And so raising money this side is, is completely different. And then you have competing products. I call them, or the banks will call them, tangible products. Every country <coughs> has them, but here is even more so. And so as you're going to raise money, you're competing with, with gold or you're competing with cocoa or you're competing with a number of things that have investors to put their money into. And then the credit layer is just a gap in knowledge and understanding between stakeholders. And so you have the investment community that doesn't understand the industry, the process, uh, what it takes. And then you have filmmakers that also do not get what it takes to be able to sell their films. And I am particularly lucky because I have a business background. And so going into this, I kind of frame the conversation to have a good financial case or business case. When you have the, the situation where a lot of filmmakers don't even understand what a business plan is or don't appreciate that they need to put together a business plan, 
and you have simple issues ranging from copyrights and all of those issues that may inhibit further an investor coming into the picture, then you have a really dire situation. And for me, that is one of the things that led me to actually start the Black Star International Film Festival that is focused on the business of film. And so beyond having a festival, doing all the things that festivals do, we also focus heavily on advocacy. And advocacy between stakeholders and just helping the industry raise the structures that I needed to put things in place. And so for us, the struggle, I would say, is on many, many different levels. I was able to raise money for Silver Rain. And I wouldn't say that the problems that I face raising money for Silver Rain has gone away. All of those problems still exist. And, and I think that it's a continuing conversation, a continuing battle. I'm happy to say that last year at the festival, we had banks, for the first time, banks willing to sit down and have conversations with filmmakers about what it takes and the opportunities that are in there, including some of the gaps that are distribution gaps. We really don't have a good distribution network, and that also feeds into the problem. So it's a multifaceted problem. But then, you know, we are tackling those problems, and, and we can see some light at the end of the tunnel. Stacey Mohammed. Funding is definitely, you know, usually one of the biggest issues. I think, you know, I've been really blessed because, as you know, you, know, you mentioned Mark Lamont Hill, and, you know, we have a, a small production company, but he's also, you know, our funding producer. So, you know, I mean, that means how it sounds. He funds what, you know, I write and direct. And I think that we haven't tried to do anything that we couldn't really afford to do. Like with the Color Boys, as you said, you know, we raised money online. And, I mean, it was incredible, but it was extremely difficult. You know, fundraising online is like a nine-to-five job. It's not easy to do. Um, and I think that fewer people are doing it now. I don't think that I would do another fundraising campaign for another project. We haven't attempted to do a feature film independently. I just bought on producing partners recently for, you know, what will be my first feature film. Because I think that with all the other challenges inherent to the filmmaking art form, adding trying to raise money for a feature film was just something I didn't want to do, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's challenging, and I think that to add on to what she said, I mean, it's, it's extremely important, I think, for filmmakers to develop a team of people who know how to do things that they don't know how to do. You know, more often than not, we're creative. I mean, I'm a writer and I'm a director. I don't know much about raising money for film, even though I've been a filmmaker for over 10 years now. I think it's a particular skill. And if there's a particular resource I think filmmakers don't tap into enough, it's grants. I mean, when I lived in Brooklyn, New York, I was shocked. I think it was at Brick, maybe, or another community agency, shocked to find out how few people actually apply for the grants that they have available for filmmakers. And so I think just looking at the entire process of actually submitting a grant application and writing for a grant is just an overwhelming task a lot of times for people who are more creative than administrative. So having someone on, on, on your team, you know, who's invested in your work, I think is extremely important. And sometimes that's difficult and challenging to do initially, but I think as you begin to build your brand and build an audience, and there are more people that are going to want to be on your team. So I've more so in recent years worked on building a team and having people close to me that know how to do things that I don't know how to do primarily, you know, raise money and distribute, you know, the work that we do. So I get to be creative and let other people do what they do. You mentioned audience, Stacey. So let's just focus on that a second, that the idea of crafting and creating audience and even that kind of creative stroke commercial contradiction. The idea that you're telling the stories that you want to tell, then as you build community, as you build audience, how much the audience begins to shape the stories that you tell because 
audiences becoming more and more influential. And particularly with online funding models, there's a much closer relationship with people who've invested in a project than previously or with a, with a big screen project. And so I wonder for you both, this idea of developing, maintaining and expanding audience, how do you work on that? And does it ever interrupt the creative process or has it shaped the creative process? And, and if so, in what ways? Juliet? Online, just beyond, you can go beyond YouTube, of course, it is very effective. But even if you look at all BOD platforms like Amazon, iTunes, all of those platforms, including Netflix, it kind of is the same model, online model, where you create a kind of relationship with your audience, a much broader relationship and a much closer relationship than traditional television or theater, I would say. But really, I work from the point of, is this a story that I like? I think that you can easily fall into an abuse if you go chasing stories or you go chasing an audience. I think that if you find a point with yourself where you like this story, you know this story, I think from that point, then you begin to expand and then you begin to find people who like that story as well or who love the subject matter that you're trying to treat because there's so many different ways that a director can go. And at each point, you have to be careful to be true to who you are because you are the storyteller. And you are the one who's bringing the audience along, and you don't want to get lost in that process. Of course, issues like funding and, and what funders are interested in and all of those things may affect your choice of the stories that you tell. But I think that, as I said in the beginning, at the, at the end of the day, if you're telling a human story, and if you're telling a story that can resonate. I think that the audience, you will find yourself, you will find the audience and the audience will find you. Stacey Mohammed. I think that people, you know, are, are hungry for the types of stories that we're telling. I mean, myself, Juliet, and other filmmakers who are telling a lot of the stories that we're not seeing in mainstream media. And I think that even with this influx of black talent that we see doing extremely well at this point in time, um, people are still very hungry for these stories. So, you know, I, I agree with her. It's just really about being real and being authentic in terms of building an audience. It feels good, I think, to be connected to black people in such a way, right, where you're telling the stories that resonate with them and for them. And so my experience has been that the audiences have been extremely supportive, so much so that it's been the moments that I've been, you know, most discouraged that I can literally sign onto my Facebook page and look at hundreds of comments from people saying, don't give up, keep going. So the audience support hasn't just impacted me as a filmmaker, it's impacted me as a woman, as a mother, as a black woman, to just keep going. So I think that if you're telling stories, if you love black people, if you're telling stories for black people to show our complexity and how layered and complicated and beautiful and ugly and all the things that we are as human beings, I think people will support that work. I think the beauty of doing this work online is really being able to engage with their audiences and they're real people and you're a real person and they feel as if they have input in a story that means so much to them. It's a luxury they don't have when it comes to the stories that make it to mainstream media. You know, I just try to stay true to 
the art, my voice, the things that I think are important, tell the stories that I know need to be told, and to not put too much pressure on myself. This is a type of industry. It takes a really long time for things to happen, and it takes a long time sometimes to make a film. It took Professor Garima eight years to make Sankofa. One of the things that I learned, you know, under his tutelage was just to be patient. And a lot of times in order to tell the type of stories we want to tell, we have to be patient. And I think that we have to stay connected to the people that really love us in this industry. Right, because there are so many people that don't. So we have to stay connected to the people that love us and help us be grounded and focus on the things that matter. So I've been more focused, honestly, on my mental health as a filmmaker and as a woman and making sure that the pressures of filmmaking just don't take me somewhere that it doesn't need to take me. Storytellers, shot callers, black women filmmakers telling stories to resist, reflect and rise. Black Butterflies. That's your hour. Thank you to Stacey Mohammed and Juliet Asante. Thanks, ladies. Thank you so much Thank for having me. Thank you very much. I want to hear myself. <laughs> Thank you to the Spin production team, sound editor David McKeever, a.k.a. McKeever Magic, distributor Loretta Rucker and the AAPRC. This was Shot Callers and Storytellers, Black Women Filmmakers, Reimagining Resistance, When We Frame the Narrative and Control the Lens. The Spin, your hour of talk where smart is also and always global, groundbreaking and sexy. I'm your host, Esther Arma. Yeah. Freedom, equality, yeah. invest your money properly. People owe me your policy. Huh. Intellectual property, stealing, stolen, commodity. Souls controlling, robbery, cold, lack of commodity. Clones, copycats, bother me. Mine on black, just follow me. Honestly, honestly, all these jokers economy. Puppets with no autonomy. Yup, it's food, you define me. I see you looking, but you better take, take it easy. easy. Tell your goons that they better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher. Take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. Too much ex mommy. Take it easy. Good with the sex, you be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. You moving bricks, but you better take it easy. Here's a tip. You too flash. I don't tip twice, but your best friend he DT. And that dog sniff in the bag ain't last seat. And I ain't rhyme in a minute, but y'all ain't catch up. And I ain't blood on your shirt, man. That's ketchup. Picture cleft, get the writer to give him help. I'd rather kill myself, become a ghost, and write for myself. Cause I'm the top celebrity, top celebrity, top celebrity in the sea. I flow for the thugs, gypsies, and hippies. Yeah, the ghetto maestro with a nat turn of flow. Malcolm X come out, hit the Ku Club show. I see you looking, but you better than Eddie. So you go. Here comes the rocket launcher. Take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. Too much ex mommy. Take it easy. Good with the sex. You'll be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. 
This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.